What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another edition of the State of the Nova Nation podcast from VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Sang. And Pat, oh man, do we have a lot to talk about today. <laughs> we got a, a couple nights rest after the epic weekend that we had at Mohegan Sun. It's Thanksgiving week, feast week, so much good basketball to come. But first, what are your plans for Thanksgiving? I would say you took the words right out of my mouth. Happy feast week, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving week. Uh, I am on Long Island, home with my parents for it. So excited to do that. I got to watch some Villanova basketball with them this past weekend. What about you? Same. Yeah. Just going to see my grandparents in Rhode Island. And then my other grandparents are visiting me here in Connecticut. I'm just happy to be off work, to chill, yes. watch TV, watch sports. Lots of college basketball. And football. Yeah, I'm, yes. I'm psyched. I'm psyched. A- absolutely. Before we get further into it, though, shout out to the Villanova football team as oh, yeah. well, bringing home the number five seed in the FCS. And it's going to have a Friday night home playoff game uh, coming up in what, December 3rd. Uh, still figuring out if I can make it or not. But, you know, awesome job by then. Nova men's soccer also made the NCAA tournament. They did fall to Notre Dame, but heck of an accomplishment to get in there. So, Nova Athletics full swing. I was just going to say the football team's been on the rise for a couple of mm-hmm. years now. That would be awesome if you could go. That would be trying, so much fun. Trying. So we'll see. They need a little juice from the fan section. Hopefully you could bring that. You know me. There's nothing but energy out there. <laughs> Just a ball of energy in the stands. Yes, exactly. Yeah. All right. So the Wildcats improve to three and two on this early season. We're only a few games away from me not being able to say early anymore. Mm. But we obviously had two just absolutely incredible top 25 matchups this weekend. They lived up to all of the hype and everything that we could have hoped for. There was the the national stage, obviously all of the primetime writers being there, the game being on ESPN. We'll talk about Tennessee. We will talk about Purdue. We will talk about the AP poll. We've got everything handled and we know how many thoughts are going around out there on Twitter, especially so. I'm super excited. I, my, my notes list is, is pretty stacked today, Pat. So I'm excited to get into it. It's a big one. It really is. So I guess first, before we even get into it, you were there against Tennessee at Mohegan Sun. What was it like at the arena? Yeah, it was so cool. So I, I live in Connecticut. Like I said, I go to Mohegan a lot for concerts and such, but I've never actually seen a basketball game there. It was so cool. I was able to sit in the press box, which was amazing. And it was literally a bird's eye view. I, I couldn't believe how high up we were. Luckily, I'm not afraid of heights. So that was <laughs> a good thing. But the Tennessee game obviously was the amazing game to be there for. Villanova just dominated them, annihilated Tennessee in every, every single fashion. But it was really cool. A couple of, of high profile people in that box, which is always nice to be around, including Mike Sheridan, which was cool. Oh, gotta love Sheridan. Yeah. And then I was able to go to the, the press conference afterwards and hear Jay and Colin and Jermaine and Rick Barnes speak, who was mm-hmm. actually amazing. He was incredibly well-spoken, had some really, really good thoughts afterwards, but gen- generally it was so fun to be there. It was awesome to watch them play really, uh, play a really good game and would definitely recommend. I'm trying to go to the garden. Like I said, mm-hmm. anybody who's any, any of these neutral side games are just so good. And it seems like all of these matchups are so good. We're so lucky this year. Yeah, the garden would be so much fun. And Mohegan is, is very cool as well. Villanova went up against coaching elite this weekend yeah. is how I put it. As you talk about Rick Barnes and of course, uh, Matt Painter over there at Purdue, that the easiest way I can sum up this Villanova over Tennessee game is that they made a good team look bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're sitting here as we record this on the Monday night after they're number 11 in Ken Palm's ranking. 
this is some really good Tennessee basketball team and Villanova just kind of toyed with them for, for most of the game. They only allowed 53 points. It's Villanova's fewest since Hartford a year ago also happened to be at Mohegan sun. And then just to show you the disparity and, and really what Tennessee can do on offense the next day, they went out and dropped 89 on UNC. So th- let's get this clear. This is a very good volunteer team. Uh, Kennedy Chandler, we only saw flashes of him. He got in foul trouble, was never able to really get into a rhythm. And then I would just say, I thought Jermaine Samuels was fantastic mm-hmm. against Tennessee. I thought he did everything and, and really helped lead the way. Yeah, 14 points, 11 rebounds for, for Mayno, first double-double of the season. I think that's, that is his, his ceiling, right? Mm-hmm. When he's doing it all on the defensive end, when he's getting it on the boards, he's putting shots up. It was such a good balance. And it's funny you went there about how good Tennessee is because I felt the same exact way. And it already feels so long ago now that they have the Purdue game too. But Tennessee is a, if not top 10, definitely a top 15 team in the country. And they looked like they didn't belong in division one after playing Villanova. Villanova out-rebounded them, out-offensive rebound them out them, out-turnovered them, out them, and they just won the energy battle. You could literally go down the list. They outshot them. Everything, everything they did, they did better than Tennessee. Rick Barnes is an incredible coach. He just mm-hmm. could not game plan for the physicality that Villanova would bring, despite being hugely outsized. Yeah. We talked in our preview episode about how nervous we were about John Fulkerson, about Kumwa, and again, about Kennedy Chandler, these guys were all of them. Every single one of them was a non-entity because everybody on Villanova showed up. They didn't shoot very well, but it didn't no. matter because they got those 50-50 balls. They won the 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 rebounding margin. And those things are just it's so important to the character and the integrity of the game. And Villanova never lost that. The, the fact that they won the rebounding margin, I think, is unbelievably impressive, you know, going up against a team that I think was averaging close to 50 rebounds a game in their first two games in Tennessee. It's a really strong interior team. And listen, Villanova was up 17 to five after the first 10 minutes and just really never looked back. Yeah. 17 to five. Uh, They held Tennessee to five of 28 from three really impressive out there on the perimeter. And Nova did a lot of, a lot of damage getting into the post and then either the weak side kickouts or, or bounce passes into cutters. Like they did a really, really nice job with ball movement. And I, I, they only, they only, I say in quotations, put up 71. This was definitely more about the defense and Tennessee had an off day. They missed a lot of good looks as well. Oh, yeah. um, but this was, this is a really strong win. This has the chance to go down as the best win of Villanova's non-conference schedule, seeing how other things could possibly play out. This, this is going to be a really nice win come March um, at, at uh, it just, you can't, you can't think of this game and not connect it to the next one is the sad okay, part, exactly. which we'll, we'll get into more in a second here. Yeah. And I hope this isn't their, their best non-conference. I hope Villanova can beat Baylor. I think they that, will be Baylor. That would be the, the and you still think this is the best non-conference. Interesting. Oh, wow. Well, okay. I should say, well, I think I'm saying it could be in case they lose to Baylor. I think they do beat Baylor when that day does roll around. I believe it's December 12th off the top of my head, Um, but they've got a chance in that game. It's going to be another really good one. Yeah. Another really, really good one. And then one quick point before we transition to Purdue, Mm -hmm. it was the turnovers. It was Mm -hmm. what we talked about when we recapped the Howard game, despite how awful Villanova looked on defense, they forced so many turnovers 
And I remember saying this might be their one strength, even though they can't get back in transition D and they struggle with the zone versus the three-quarter court press versus man-to-man. At least they can force turnovers. And my God, was that apparent. Tennessee scored 15 points in the first half. They had 14 turnovers. 15 points, 14 turnovers in the first half. And that total ended up going up to 18 turnovers. They did get a, a lot more going in the second half, but it didn't matter because the lead was too big at that point anyway. But I yeah. thought their defense was incredible. I thought their de- decision-making was really, really good. Archie Diacono and Daniels played well off the bench. Longino played well off the bench, 10 minutes, no offense. But it just, it, after this game, it felt like everything was meshing. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that's fair. You talk about turnovers on the defensive side. I have to go on the offensive side. Villanova is the number one team in the country in terms of turnovers right now on mm-hmm. offense. They do not turn the ball over. And we've seen that really translate into some pretty deadly offense. Of course, we're only five games into the season, but they're currently averaging 83 points a game. That is the most points a game since the national title uh, year of 2017-18. Of wow. So this is a really, really good offense. There are some weaknesses that we will certainly get into in a second here, but there are many, many good signs of this Villanova team. Yeah. And to put things in perspective, they scored 71 points. They turned the ball over seven times. That was three Mm -hmm. more than they did against Purdue, which is crazy to think about in that 71 point outburst. They only shot 37% from the floor and 33% from three. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, it was, oh, wow. This team finds ways to get things done. They're gritty. They went after those 50-50 balls. How many times, my God, did it seem like Brandon Slater was going to break his ankle? Or oh, I was, was so scared with the Slater a, ones. I it, know. Yeah, and Dixon was diving all over the court and Gillespie and Samuels. It was scary to watch at times because it was so physical. But overall, what an effort, what a win, making a team as good as Tennessee look as bad as they did. But I don't think we can avoid it anymore. Yeah, I don't think we can either. We got to talk about Purdue. So I think this is when we'll, we'll do our, our positives and, and negatives and really go into the nitty gritty of the box score. If that's good with you, Pat. Yeah, sure. Why not? So man, where do I start? I think we should save the minutes to be until we get through all of the other stuff. Okay. Do you agree? Yeah, sure. So we'll start with leading score. It was Justin Moore, seven for 15 from the floor, only three for seven from three. He had 19 points. Four of the five Villanova starters did finish with double digit points. And then off the bench, Caleb Daniels scored 17. When you look at the box score, the biggest thing that jumps out to you is the rebounding margin. Of course it is. Purdue had 38 and Villanova had 26. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to out-rebound a team that throws out a seven-foot-four Zach Eady, who, I mean, and to, we say that, and he only had six rebounds. He didn't even lead the team in boards, which I find actually very funny to, is, to think I about. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Travion Williams, of course, is a beast as well. It is so interesting how Painter goes about it, where he separates the two. They do not play on the floor at the same time. They split evenly, both of them with just 20 minutes. And what it does, it makes Purdue so deadly because there is always – you know, kind of a, a top tier big in the game with the two of them. And that's not even talking about first and Ivy as well, who brings some, some decent size uh, to it for Purdue. Um, the, listen, the, the rebounding, we knew it was going to be an issue. Uh, that, I think that's why from Tennessee, you take that away as, as a big positive that they're able to out rebound a good, you know, a pretty solid squad in Tennessee. 
Purdue is a whole nother animal when it comes to the boards. And it, it was frustrating. You know, it, it was just, that was a huge difference in this game. And, and the funny thing is Villanova still got off more field goals than Purdue, even though Purdue dominated, you know, the, the rebounding battle. It's just that interior presence of Purdue, it goes further than just the rebounding. You know, as I was talking about with Tennessee, Villanova was able to run a lot of offense kind of from the high post, from the low post and, and kick out and things like that they weren't able to come anywhere close to the post near Purdue. And it really changed the game plan for them. And all you have to do is look at the three point field goal attempts where against Purdue Villanova attempted 34 against Tennessee, they only attempted 24. They were just, they had to stay around the perimeter. And a lot of that has to do goes to uh, Purdue's size and their rebounding. Yeah. Again, seven, four is Zach, who is their starter. And then they've got a preseason all American in Travion Williams who comes off the bench? Six we said man. a lot. We said a lot this year about how things aren't fair. Blah blah blah. That literally is not fair. No, how it's not. How can you be that deep? How can you be that good? When you mentioned last week about you mentioned Travion Williams' stat line, and you said that he only did it in twenty minutes. Yeah, he did it again. When when I saw that, I thought, oh, he must have had foul trouble, or maybe he got hurt, or it was a blowout, so Painter decided to sit him. No, no, no. That's just their game plan. Mm-hmm. None of these guys will play more than 25, even 20 minutes. Both of them had 20 and between them, they had 30 and 10. It's just, it's so insane to watch how that tandem works. And they're also very nice compliments to each other because Edie doesn't have the footwork or really the, the basketball IQ. And that's not a slight to him. It's more of a compliment to Travion Williams. He's just so freaking tall that he can just stand there and get his own offensive rebound and put it back up. He made Eric Dixon look like he was five mm-hmm. eight he did. and he's six, eight. And then Travion Williams, I still believe is one of the best, best players in the country. Without he's a doubt. Just a, a menace in the paint. He puts his head down. He is really technical and he's got that really nice touch around the rim. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's unfair that tandem. It's unfair that Painter can mix and match. And and then they're paired with the shooters of first and ED, uh, and Ivy, excuse me, and Sasha St- uh, Stefanovic, yep. who didn't even have that good of a game. He was lights out against UNC on Saturday. Yeah, he was. But yeah, I completely agree with you. It was just a, it was a five or six headed beast for Purdue and and Villanova stood a chance at the beginning. I actually remember thinking Villanova's offense is so good that it doesn't matter how badly they mismatch against their in, 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 in the paint, in the interior presence. And then all of a sudden those shots didn't start, Mm -hmm. didn't uh, fall anymore. And that's when you start going through all of the worst case scenarios and thinking about how many weaknesses this team might actually have. Yeah. And that's fair. And, and even further on Purdue size far away from just Edie and Williams, nine out of the 10 guys that played for Purdue on Sunday are six, four taller. Yeah. It, it's just a massive, massive team. And it presented problems for Villanova. They, they really do exploit some of the things that Nova, just this iteration of Villanova doesn't do very well. Now, on Villanova too, just to think about, you know, sort of the good part of it, you, you might not even think about this, but when you actually look into the box score, Nova had more points per possession against Purdue than Tennessee, which is a really good sign because as we saw, Purdue is a very strong defensive club. And I got this one completely wrong in the preseason for the 
uh, our preview where I said, Purdue's going to be really good on the interior. I'm not sure the, the guard and wing play is going to be good enough. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Yes, it is. And this Purdue team is, is a final four team. Uh, you just didn't know about Jaden Ivy right there. I didn't realize how good Jaden Ivy was. And then especially yeah. for like this Villanova game, Isaiah Thompson was, was a killer uh, for Nova where he had a, a couple threes. I, I think it was three. Um, and was really good at pushing pace and moving the ball around for them. Uh, Jaden Ivey also led the team in assists with seven, which is just crazy for kind of the, the wing play and the athleticism that you see from him. Ivy's going to be a lottery pick this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we said, just all credit to Purdue. They, in my mind, they are a final four team. Oh, I totally agree. I think they're a top three team in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jaden Ivey had 13 assists in both games or across the two games this weekend, just two turnovers these guys are so smart with the ball they don't make mistakes and it's just funny when you're thinking about this think about all the compliments we've given to this team and how many of them you could say back to Villanova and it just so happened that the rules were switched this game obviously besides the size point so let's get into the nitty-gritty of some of the actual performers Mm -hmm. Eric Dixon was completely outmatched yes he was this was a game it's so it's funny because and I'm curious to hear what you think about this. Travion Williams and Zach Eady are in a different hemisphere than John Fulkerson and Olivier Kumwa. Mm-hmm. But size is size. And to you, what do you think was the difference in Eric Dixon play against Tennessee versus Purdue? Uh, it's a great question for how you phrase it. I think a lot of it can honestly just boil down to Edie and Williams are much better than, yeah. than they are. Um, they just, especially Edie, how he can just... he sits in the paint, you know, Jay Wright was screaming about trying to get three seconds against him. Cause yes, he did just camp out in the paint. So it, it's so difficult to be able to <laughs> take out a guy or guard a guy that's seven, four. Cause you saw Purdue always just trying to lob the ball down low to him because you know, how are you going to really deflect it away? What's so interesting is that Travion Williams is just such a different style player where he's mm-hmm. a little bit smaller, but he is, he's a pit bull is probably the best way I could describe him where he's just so vicious you know, down low and so strong uh, and so good with his footwork that he's just able to bowl through and kind of use some of that experience. And I think that's what hurt Dixon here. I I don't take this as a slight on Eric Dixon, though. I do agree with you. I don't think this was a great game for him. I think he was just overmatched by two of the better big men in the country. I don't think you can walk. Okay. Well, that's not true. If you're Eric Dixon and if you've been rooting for Eric Dixon the past couple of games and you've seen the market progression, yep. yeah, and in progression on offense and defense, because that was another thing. Mm-hmm. He didn't get anything going offensively. And this was the the lowest offensive production he's been able to put up all season. You don't walk away solely from Eric Dixon's point of view and think that this was a bad game because what was your expectation? Mm-hmm. What could Eric Dixon have done except maybe try and push Zach Eady a little higher up on the key because it just seemed so easy that they were able to yep. just lob it up and he and he was way too deep. And at that point, then Dixon starts getting into foul trouble and that's where the, the issues really come. I honestly was surprised it took them, it took him so long to pick up that fourth foul because that's what they do. That's what Villanova did against Tennessee and that's what Purdue is going to do against every single opponent. Edie's just going to body up the defender against him and the defender is going to get that foul and then they get their biggest player to the bench and then they can just exploit the paint even Mm -hmm. more. And and that's exactly what they did. Yeah. The only thing I would have liked to have seen from Dixon more, especially when Edie was in, because as we said, Williams, just a different player. I actually would have liked him to be at the three point line, basically the entire time and pull Edie out there or make them switch and then Mm. for Villanova to try to exploit a mismatch on a smaller player that way. I, I think strategically they started to do that a little bit, 
in the second half, but I, I would have liked to have seen them do that more. Now I understand you're taking your biggest guy and your center basically out of the paint, but Edie provides just such a mismatch and such an advantage for Purdue. I would have liked to see them try and, you know, shuffle the shuffle the board a little bit and get him out more towards the perimeter. Oh, that's such a great point and such a great segue for what I wanted to talk about next, which is we might have jumped the gun about thinking Colin Gillespie was hesitant to go to the rim. Yeah. We might have been hesitant because, or we might have jumped the gun because he was so good driving to the lane against Tennessee. In fact, I actually had a crazy stat about that game. No, Villanova had 26 points in the paint against Tennessee. Only six of those came from Dixon. We've talked about it so much. Villanova becomes such a higher ceiling team when their guards can drive. And Purdue took all of that away. Completely neutralized. <laughs> no shot Gillespie or more, or even Samuels or Daniels can drive to the hoop and expect to not be blocked by uh, Edie or Williams and Jaden Ivy. Even I would say Ivy as blocked. well. Yeah. Exactly. I, so I thought that was a huge disadvantage for Villanova and Purdue eliminated it immediately from tip. So when, when Colin Gillespie can't do anything but shoot, when Justin Moore can't do anything but shoot, then they're so reliant on the three-point shooting. And sometimes they just don't fall. And they mm-hmm. the funny thing is that they did on Sunday for the majority of that game, and that's why they were able to keep it so close. But when it comes down to it, sometimes they don't fall. And that's when the other factors come in. And you also allow Purdue to get some momentum because then they were able to force turnovers. Then they were able to get Villanova in transition D. And we all know how much of a weakness that is for them. No, you're right. And I, I do like where you're going with it. And you're you're completely right on Villanova is able to do a lot of damage when those guards are driving. We're talking about with the Tennessee game. Gillespie did a lot more. Justin Moore has made a habit of it so far this season, which I think has been great. And, and, you know, as we were discussing with Purdue, they just weren't able to get in the lane. You know, the Purdue was, was too strong on the interior. They were too athletic with guys like Ivy, like first that were able to, you know, really break up play for them. And it just, it threw things off enough that Purdue was able to kind of ride their talent and ride their size advantage inside to, to overtake Villanova and that lead that they did build up. Yeah. They, they outscored Villanova 34 to 17 over the last nine minutes. Mm-hmm. So that, that paints the story pretty well let's just mention shooting a little bit more most notably when I looked at that box score Jermaine Samuels was one for eight from three mm-hmm. and it's just it's one of, another one of those conundrums you do not want Jermaine Samuels to be the leading field goal attempt player on this team but what other choice do they have even he couldn't post up against Williams or Edie and Jaden Ivy I mean I don't think he is underrated because he's going to get a ton of national attention but his defense is remarkable yeah. he is a, a just an unbelievable player so Jermaine Samuels that that three-point shot isn't something that can be relied on every single time so my bottom line about all these points is that Matt Painter game plan to perfection because he took away the one strength that Villanova has been able to cultivate this season which has been their guards are so experienced and they know how to exploit a mismatch they never even got their chance I, I think I remember one time when Moore was on Edie and he was able to drive mm-hmm. to the basket. It was completely embarrassing for Edie. After that, never happened again because the defense was able to shift. So that's just the coaching advantage in that specific matchup to Matt Painter. And Villanova couldn't do anything about it. No, and Samuels has been really good from three this season. He, he, he's shooting 44%. 
right now. And that's after the Purdue game where he struggled so much. So I think that really goes to how good Jermaine has been from beyond the arc. It just didn't fall to, to your point. They weren't able to get it. And then the, the one thing I do want to take away, because I do find this as a massive, massive positive for this weekend, regardless of how, you know, things did turn out on Sunday, Caleb Daniel scored six threes and he scored yes. 17 points against Purdue. And, you know, Caleb has certainly gotten his fair share of criticism through the first part of the season, deservedly so, but Caleb Daniels emerged this weekend as a, as a strong option to be able to score off the bench. Can he keep it through consistency? That is what remains to be seen um, because we know it's been a struggle in the past here, but that is one of the biggest positives I will take away from this weekend is that against, again, a final four caliber team in Purdue, Caleb Daniels added 17 points off the bench. No turnovers, by the way, as well. No turnovers. That's exactly what I was going to say. I contend that if Caleb Daniels plays like that or just a tier below that, this takes Villanova from a Final Four team to a national title contender, if that's where you were, or a Sweet 16 team to a Final Four team. He makes that big of a difference. And it's not just because he's a spark plug off the bench. It's not just because... He's been taking his time to adjust and he knows the system and he's just the, the high IQ guy and the energy guy. No, no, no. When Caleb Daniels shoots that well, he makes this team markedly better. Mm-hmm. And it's been so long since we saw that. Isn't it funny also how much of an infatuation broadcasters have with Caleb Daniels? Oh, they ESPN loved him. It's so funny because... I get the I get the Gillespie infatuation. That's always there. There's definitely been a more infatuation this year. Caleb Daniels, I was wondering if they spoke with him one-on-one and that's where it came from it because it was just so down our throats, really. <laughs> Obviously, no offense to Caleb. I think he's a great guy, but ESPN was all over him. But maybe that helped because 20 minutes, 17 points. The decision-making is so much better. He's not forcing himself into positions where he has to make a bad foul. He's not forcing himself to make bad passes. He's taking the right shots. All of these things that we've been hoping would come along for him are finally there. And he did it again against two top 25 teams in mm-hmm. games where it really mattered. And that's the Caleb that we won. And that's the Caleb we expected when he started last year, too. Yeah, still picked up six fouls across the two games because, of course, he did. Caleb loves to hit people uh, <laughs> when it comes to basketball. So, But only three each. Yes, only, only, three, only each. three each, which is well better. Balanced. My, well my, balanced. My big thing is, is the turnovers where he had zero in, in both games combined and came out with scoring. You know, that's it's a really, really good sign, and it's something that you hope can continue forward. Yeah, and I had one other positive about a specific player, too. Brandon Slater is becoming as locked down of a defender as Sadiq Bey was. And when That's I say that, I, I really feel like there it's the last possession and you need a guy to stop. Um, who was the player on Kansas that Sadiq Bey had that big stop against? Oh, shoot. Oh, no, you're breaking it out on me. I, I, I can't remember. We were calling that game. We were calling the game. Was it Dotson? Yeah, I think so. Demar Dotson. Devon- yeah, Devon, 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 Dotson, Devon yeah. excuse me. Yes. Devon Dotson against Kansas. That was that big stop that won them the game. And then in the first half against Purdue, it was Brandon Slater against Jaden Ivey. Mm-hmm. This, Got the block. He's, he's so good. And that's who you want on the one-on-one matchup. So I thought that was great to watch. And he's bringing it on f- offensively in both games as well to only 10 points in the second game. I think that's more of what we can expect in games that are close, a, a 10 point output, a 12 point output, as opposed to, I believe it was 17 in the Tennessee game, or excuse me, 14. But 
what he's showing on defense continues to impress me every single game. I can't believe how good Slater is on defense. It's officially Slater season. We yep. talked about it. It's um. Oh, it's been Slater season. It's Pat. been Slater season. Exactly. So <laughs> it's, again, you know, if we want to look at the positive ways of it, the progression and how far he's come and, and turn into a legitimate scorer again with his ability to, to shoot efficiently, you know, knock it down from beyond, uh, beyond three, wasn't able to do so on Sunday where he went over two, but his progression is so key. And he has turned himself into possibly the key guy for Villanova, not named Colin Gillespie, because we know that, you know, Gillespie's the guy. We know more is the secondary scorer. Samuels does everything, but Slater and his ability to really turn into a guy that you can count on a little bit is such an X factor for this team. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. And then it's so funny because we've been talking about defense the whole time. Just in a quick answer before I get to my point here, do you think Villanova's defense was the reason why they lost this game? No, because I'll get into that very yep. soon, though. They did okay. give up 80 for the third time this season, which is it's concerning. OK, so I agree that it is concerning. I also agree that defense was not the reason they lost. But to give the defense some credit, this was the first time all season that Purdue has been held to less than 90 points. Mm-hmm. Purdue has also shot at least 50 percent in every single game this season. And that's a large reason why they're five and zero. So Villanova's defense is never going to be lauded in a situation like this because it was a high scoring game and because they weren't able to make key stops down the stretch, but they limited a really high powered offense. One of the best offenses in the country that's headlined by the size, but I just want to talk about it again, how good these shooters are. They've made double digit three pointers in four of their five games this season. They had 10 three pointers in both games on Saturday and Sunday, this offense clicks in every single part of the game. They can get it down low, and that's easy. But Stefanovic can also easily make a three from almost half mm. court. Thompson was so good. Ivy can do it mid-range, beyond the arc, and in the paint. They're just so well-balanced. And I do believe that Villanova, Villanova's defense stepped up to the challenge here. We're not talking about it because it was a loss, but this was a big showing for a defense that gave up 81 points to Howard just a week ago. No, you're right. I, I, if we're coming out of this, do I feel any worse about the defense than I came into the weekend? Absolutely not. They held Tennessee, guess, to, yeah. they held Tennessee to 53 points. I, I think that's great. And they went up against a Purdue team that has some guys that, you know, it's, it's really difficult to game plan for and stop. So no, I agree with you. I do think defensively, I saw more from them this weekend and that's a big progression. Um, I don't know how much these next couple games are really going to tell us about their defense, Yeah, uh, but we'll certainly see it on display. You know, Syracuse is a good, they're not a good team, but they're a good shooting team. And then of course, Baylor coming up. Yeah. And it's an interesting point about the schedule of really when the next competition Villanova is going to see is okay. You got any other positives or should we, should we transition here? I think we've waited long enough. (laughs) All right. I am going to do everyone the favor of listing off how many minutes each Villanova player played. Yep. I've got it in front of me too. Caleb Daniels had, I'll I'll start from the bottom. Chris RG Diacono had five. Caleb Daniels had 20 off the bench. Then Eric Dixon had 24. Slater had 36. Samuels had 38. Moore had 37. And Colin Gillespie had 40 minutes. The minute high on Purdue was shared between Ivy and Stefanovic. It was 33. Mm -hmm. I will throw it to you first to hear your opening thoughts about the rotation 
and the bench depth and anything else you might want to say about this. No, I, I I'm interested in this. Cause I do think we're, we're a little different on this. Uh, okay. I, I have to say, like we talked about it with the UCLA game, you know, I went out of that game and I, I was not upset with them losing that game. I thought, you know, all the circumstances, the road team, the good offensive team, you know, get, getting the freshman involved, all those different things went into it. I was a little frustrated after this game was over on Sunday. And I think, you know, now you've seen it now with nine 20 to go against UCLA Villanova was up by 10 with nine 30 to go against Purdue Villanova led by 11. Of course they ended up losing both of those games. Um, playing six guys is difficult playing six guys after a high intensity game. Uh, against a team, you know, near the top 10 less than 24 hours ago is probably an impossible ask. And, and that's what you saw here with Villanova coming off the Tennessee game, going into the Purdue game stat for you right now. They are 339th in the country in bench minutes. That is out of 358th. So Ooh. there's, there's only what 18, 19 schools below them that use their bench less. And the only team that uses their bench less, that is, you know, I would say relevant this year as one of the better teams, St. Bonaventures, which by the way, the Bonnies are really good. Congrats yeah. on the big win against Marquette. Um, no one uses their bench as little as Villanova. And I think you've now seen it really bite them twice in basically the span of a week. And it goes to, well, well that'll be my opening because I'm sure okay. we'll go back and forth a little <laughs> bit because I don't need to give a whole soliloquy on this. Appreciate that. Okay, so I, I'll give my opening statement too. And you're right, we do disagree. Yep. So I'm, I'm fascinated to have this conversation. Purdue and UCLA have exceptionally different game plans. Mm-hmm. This game was a carbon copy of the UCLA game. Yeah, the bottom hurt. line is that right now, Villanova cannot close games and it's infuriating to watch. I have another good stat for you. This is according to ESPN stats and information before this week, Villanova had blown double digit second half leads in just two games over the past two seasons combined. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's a good stop. And they've done that twice so far this season. So it's an inability to close and it's the fatigue question. Mm-hmm. So Oh man, I don't know if I should sh- if I should show all my cards early. <laughs> I guess I guess I'll start with you're completely right in that there has to be some sort of change because playing with six players is not feasible. My my counterpoint to that is that okay, six isn't feasible, but I think seven is, and I think seven and a half is. We're also five games into the season. Absolutely. I, was so upset after this loss. I was so upset after the UCLA loss. That does not mean that Villanova is still not a top five team in this, in the country. Oh yeah. There is just, there's so much time to see how the freshmen develop. There's time for Chris Archie Diakono to get better within this season, because we've seen it from Caleb Daniels already so far. I am just not as panicked about Jay Wright's plans that I think so many people are. Mm -hmm. So it is. It's frustrating to see these ten point losses, and I guess now we have to get into the point of. So you believe Jay Wright should be blamed for this loss because of the way the minutes were distributed? I, I do think a lot of this falls on Jay because I think okay. they they've lost both of these games, and it comes down to fatigue, especially like UCLA. I think you can chalk more up to UCLA just went on a run and were able to come away. Yes, there was fatigue there too. This one was 100% fatigue being that they played Tennessee less than 24 hours before that, where 
I know I had it up. Yeah, three guys played over 30 minutes again. And then you asked them to basically play a full game the next day against one of the best teams in the country. Of course, the legs are going to go on the last 10 minutes because how much is there to really give? Yeah, so the the slight difference is that this game is different. This is a tournament style. No, there's not going to be a replica of this until the tournament. And again, Mm -hmm. it's November. It is the end of November. But here's my thing. So I do not, put the blame on Jay Wright for this loss. My only, the only thing I had an issue with and something I would love to ask him actually is why he played his starters for so long in the Tennessee game. Yep. And I, I guess, so your point is they're connected. Yeah. So, so my thing is that's it. I I have no issue with the fatigue issue in the second game because they didn't have a game a day before the UCLA game. So now we have fatigue issues just because these guys are playing 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. I I just, then we start going down a slippery slope. This game was different. Colin Gillespie paid 40 minutes and he played 30 plus the day before he played 32 the day before. I am not sure why Jay Wright didn't take out his starters early when you're up 20 against Tennessee, who quite literally cannot make a shot to save their lives. <laughs> no, you're certainly right. And I do th- a lot of the, the point does fall back on Tennessee and, and the fact that Justin Moore played 34 Gillespie, 32 Samuels, 31. Uh, you know, I, I just, I don't understand that in a game. Listen, it's always been Jay's MO that he does mm-hmm. not pull starters. This is nothing new. Uh, you know, there to walk ons very often do not get into Villanova games. They've been up 40 in the last minute and Jay hasn't put them in. Before. Yeah. It's just, yeah, you're Right. That it's, is a good point. It's it's just it goes to his MO that he keeps his guys out there. But I think you're seeing that, especially against teams that are deeper, like a Purdue, where nine of ten guys played 10 minutes or more. You know, and how much easier is that for them to be able to stay fresh and be able to close out because they're able to get a breather? And I totally get the point on, you know, the the freshmen, you know, are they ready to come in right now? I don't think it's about that, in all honesty. I don't care that Longino and Patterson are not going to come in and make a real impact and really influence the game. It's not about that in my mind. It's about giving Gillespie, Samuels, Moore, Slater a chance to go to the bench for two minutes and take a break and take a breather and let those fresh legs of Longino and Patterson. I I don't think Njoku should be out there just based on practice time, Um, but it's Longino and Patterson. I think, you know, should be getting some, some minutes per game just to be able to freshen things up. And the other thing that goes into a concern I have with the rotation is that, well, Chris, Chris Archdiakono, I think, is doing a nice job on offense, is moving the ball well, you know, has, has rebounded, has gotten some assists defensively. It's been rough and he's mm-hmm. getting beaten. He's getting beat badly. And I think that's why you only saw him play five minutes against Purdue is because Jay didn't trust him out there on the defensive side of the ball. And just all those things considered, I think he, he really and the funny thing is we're going to have this discussion. The next three games, I bet you you see the freshman a lot. And yep. It's because it's against the big five teams. The level of competition is different. So I understand the point that, you know, Jay was talking about. It's a man's game. I have to have, you know, my, my more experienced players in there. Totally get that. But at some point, those experienced players also need a little bit of a break. And it's not going to kill you to play Jordan Longino and Trey Patterson for five to eight minutes, five to ten minutes to get these guys a little bit of a blow. I disagree, and I'm so excited about it. Yeah. Because people don't understand how little you and I disagree. No, we, we really, don't. We usually we almost, agree. We almost feel the same way about everything. So the last point put out my fire a little bit because I really can't argue with that. The, uh, the experienced players are not robots. They yeah. still need a break just as much as anybody else. 
but I do think it's about the freshmen. I think all of this circles back to how inexperienced the freshmen are. And I guess people are just forgetting that Jay Wright never plays as freshmen. And I, Mm -hmm. the difference is that there hasn't been a seventh or an eighth guy. If Brian Antoine was in, maybe this things are different. different. Then you would have Antoine Daniels and Arch off of the bench. And that's a solid eight you can work with. And maybe Longino is your ninth. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Njoku, maybe Patterson are your, your ninth and 10th or 10th and 11th. In that case, the point is the freshmen aren't ready. And if Trey Patterson plays five minutes in that game against Purdue, when he didn't even play five minutes against Howard, Howard, a 19 point game just a week ago, what play are we expecting? What momentum shift are we hoping isn't going to happen in those five short minutes? And I think you can work it before timeouts. Like I'm not saying Mm -hmm. Colin Gillespie shouldn't have played the full 40 minutes. I know that that is not feasible. That's not going to work. And there are going to be some breakdowns just because a human can't play for that long. (laughs) Off an MCL tear. Exactly. But my thing is this. The question is, are the, are the Wildcats missing shots? Are they missing their free throws? Are they making bad decisions and turning the ball over at the end of the game because they're not rested? Or are they just missing the, missing the shots? Are they just missing free throws? Are they just making bad decisions? And honestly, to me, and I know people disagree, I think it's the latter. I think they're just making bad decisions and everything's exacerbated because of that short bench. When it comes down to it, Nana Njoku is not ready. He hasn't practiced again enough. And I know you agree with that. Mm-hmm. There really isn't an excuse for why Trey Patterson isn't ready. He just isn't. He just isn't acclimating to the program the way everyone hoped he would. But I am not going to sit here and blame Jay Wright for his decision to not sit players in the Purdue game. I already said what I said about the Tennessee game. I am instead going to say that it was just bad execution from Villanova's players down the stretch and Purdue had the luxury of having other guys they can turn to because they changed the momentum so quickly. Yeah. And I think that's totally fair. And what you go to is what Dana O'Neill wrote about in our column. Is it the chicken or the egg? Did the decision, were the decisions just bad or were they bad decisions because they were tired? I happen to believe the other side that I Mm -hmm. think they were exhausted and that leads to leaving shots short. That leads to missing free throws. That leads to missed defensive assignments because he can't get over there in time because your legs are tired. So that's where I think about it. And and as I said, I, I totally get your point about the freshman not being ready. I, as I said, I don't care that the freshmen aren't ready. And I understand that the freshmen aren't ready. It's about being able to help out the other players and giving them a rest. And okay, so so let me ask you this. Sorry to cut mm-hmm. you off. Yeah. What if Trey Patterson goes in there and gets horribly beat on two straight possessions and turns the ball over on offense? You would be less mad that that happened if Colin Gillespie got two minutes of rest. Yeah, because I, I think on defense, they'd know that Patterson's in, so they're going to try to help help defense there. And honestly, <laughs> I don't think he touched the ball on offense. Yeah. It, it's it's uh, seriously that's what I mean. Where to me, it's not even about them. It's about helping out the teammates and giving them a rest. I think that's twenty twenty hindsight. I, I think it is because I think if the freshmen go into this game when Villanova has its lead, the momentum shifts, and I know it shifted anyway. But it's so easy to think that now versus us seeing Longino not be able to inbound the ball like he did against Tennessee and Jay just 
pulling him right after that. I'm not saying that was the right decision. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a no, harsh. no, no. I get it. I, and I, listen, I also think it's easy to say they're just not ready. These guys are yeah. four stars, you know, coming out of high school. I bet you they're, they're pretty good players. I know yeah. they don't have the system down, but, you know, maybe a little bit of trust, like to your point about Trey Patterson barely playing against Howard, you know, what's the excuse for that? Like get, this is where for them, I, I know it's the, it's the J Wright coaching mantra. I know he doesn't play that much. And I think people have gotten more used to freshman playing, you know, coming off of the Justin Moore, the Jeremiah Robinson, or the city phase lately. Right. Like, we're seeing them start to play a little bit more. These guys are not those players, which I think can distort people from time. Time to time, which is why I'm saying I'm not looking for that. Not at all. I'm just looking for a little bit of a role, kind of like what Colin Gillespie played as a freshman, you know, his year when they won the national title where he would just came came in and he'd spell Jalen Brunson and he'd give him some time on the bench. Like, that's all I'm looking for. Yeah. And I think that's it's a really important distinction about the recency bias of the freshman getting. Oh, 100 percent. Definitely. <laughs> and then I, I, I totally see your point. I know that a lot of people will agree with you. I think somehow you just have to separate the games or in my head, I just separate the games more than other people, because if Jay Wright isn't going to trust Trey Patterson against Howard, why would he trust him against Purdue? And you're right. You're right. Even if letting Colin Gillespie sit for two minutes might be the difference of this game, he doesn't trust him enough to put him in a 19 point game. Mm -hmm. So I just, I, I don't see Jay Wright changing his mind. He's obviously not changing his mind. And I don't fault him for that because there must be something that we're missing. Jordan Longino is a talented player, but there must be something that we're missing because Jay Wright did not put him in. And I get that he's talented, and I think we've seen flashes of that. But he obviously doesn't think he can match up against any of the Purdue players, and that is more important to him than letting Colin Gillespie finish. And the question I just keep coming back to is, how long are we going to let this type of play be excused by fatigue. That's, mm-hmm. that's, I guess what I think. And I also think this is kind of unusual for me to think because I usually am very coach blaming as opposed to, as opposed <laughs> to player blaming. So it's a funny switch switch for me. And, and again, I'm trying not to be too harsh on the players, but Colin Gillespie made a terrible turtle. Yes, he did. It was, it was bad. It was, it was nothing I've ever seen before from Colin. Jermaine Samuels was missing free throws. Caleb Daniels was missing free throws. I get being tired, but that means that you just can't execute plays that you are able to execute during the 38 minute mark of the UCLA game. You know what, you know what point I'm trying to make? I just, I wonder when we're get to a point where all of these things are because of fatigue. Maybe they just had a bad 10 minutes of this game. Yeah. And and that's fair. Listen, I, I can basically sum it down to, in a perfect world, this is how you do it. And you and you don't put the freshmen in and you let them learn in practice and you give them a little bit of time in some of the, you know, say the games coming up, the big five games to let them gain experience. But it became not a perfect world when Brian Antoine got injured and is going to yep. miss most of the season. It became not a perfect world when it got shown that Chris Archdiakono is really going to struggle out there on defense against quicker teams. So at some point, you got to break that glass and just give it a shot is basically my point with it. But I completely understand yours of, you know, well, what's the impact once they come in? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I would be open to seeing them play if it was up to me, right? I'd love to mm-hmm. see them play. And another, going even further, you break that glass when Jeremiah Robinson Earl decides to leave. Yeah, he decides it, to go exactly. to the NBA when Sadiq Bay decides to leave. I'll end with this. Villanova almost beat, I genuinely think Purdue's the third best team in the country behind, be. behind UCLA and Gonzaga. With six guys 
Villanova was nine minutes away from beating the oh, third I love, best team. I love how you're ending there. And, and that's right? the thing where with that top six, like I say to basically anyone bar Gonzaga, bring it on. That's um, what I mean. Yeah. We're, we're, we're talking about this issue because it is so big and it's the reason why Villanova has two losses in the season and it's the valid reason. But that being said, they are still that close and they have a six and a half man rotation. <laughs> If that doesn't make you impressed, I don't know what to say. I, I would say, folks, you just heard us, you know, debate the whole rotation thing for a while and talk through Villanova's warts that you'll see on rebounding and stuff. All of that said, look how good this team still is. Yes. And and that's what's got to have you pumped, you know, going into the season. This is this is a great Villanova team. And they, you know, the ceiling, I think we're I think we're still trying to figure out. But as the full 40 put it like that, yes. this is an incredibly high floor team as well, yep. which is important against, against the seven four Edie and the yeah. preseason All-American Williams and the NBA lottery pick in Ivy when Colin Gillespie seems to be the motor of this team from mm-hmm. from an outsider point of view, Villanova centers around Gillespie. It is not yes. that way anymore. They have so many other strengths they can build upon. And again, it's so early. And I am so happy that we're having these games now. The losses suck, obviously. <laughs> but we're seeing this now and we're seeing how it's going to work because maybe Jay Wright is forced into a decision against Baylor or against Syracuse, God forbid where he gives the guy some time and we yeah. see what happens. And maybe Villanova doesn't choke as much as it did in these first two games. And, and to your point about, you know, seeing if the freshmen are ready and what they can do, I truly believe they're going to get some minutes in these yeah. next couple of games. So for Not the freshmen, you know, go yeah. out there and show you can make an impact and you know what you're doing with your defensive assignments out there. And maybe you will get in against Syracuse and be able to give some of the guys a little bit of a rest. So they're all tied together. Um, Listen, everything, you know, all said and done, one and one against Tennessee, against Purdue at a neutral site, not the worst weekend in the world for Villanova basketball. I feel the same way. I feel the same way. Not the worst. Three and two, and they're currently the seventh best team in the country because they have two losses against top 25 teams and not even top 25 teams, top five teams. Mm -hmm. That is a, a pretty good place to be in, if I say, Pat. Hey, they could be Syracuse and give up 100 points and lose to Colgate at home. Yeah, they could be losing by games. That would be oh, much worse. The epitome of brutality. <laughs> All right. Well, you segued into you segued us well into LaSalle. Do you have anything else? Or should <laughs> we go no, that's it. Yeah. All right. I'm good too. It was also a six point game. All yeah. right. Anyways, let's go to LaSalle. We have a, a long week, and we should have mentioned at the beginning too. This will actually be our only episode this week because of Thanksgiving and. I don't think a preview of LaSalle, unfortunately, merits an entire episode. So we'll do a little bit about of that now on Sunday night against LaSalle at home at Finn, 6 o'clock p.m. It's actually an ESPN2 game, which is kind of cool. It's an away game. On... Just a Oh, I'm sorry. I meant no, no, you are good. Um, uh, yeah, as you said, a little bit of a late one on, on Sunday night or just later in the day, I should say. Uh, LaSalle sitting there at 2 and 2 right now. They have only played close games, (laughs) Uh, two overtime losses and a pair of, I believe, three point wins uh, so far this season. They're very veteran laden. So, wow, I wonder where Ashley Howard gets it from Jay Wright's staff (laughs) uh, playing for a combination of four juniors and seniors with a sophomore in most of their starting lineups. 
Uh, Jack Clark and Jameer Brickus. I, I told you about Jameer Brickus. Oh, probably, yeah, that's yeah, right, Brickus. Possibly being my favorite name going into the season. Well, here it is. Finally, the matchup. Both of them have played really well so far this season. And then just a quick look at LaSalle for what they do. They turn the ball over a heck of a lot, which is definitely going to give Villanova an opportunity to take advantage of that. Maybe push it in transition a little bit more, which we kind of saw against Purdue a couple of times. They pushed it a little bit. Um, but they're, they're a very strong, or I should say at least decent uh, offensive rebounding team. So Decent enough matchup, you know, intriguing, of course, always in the big five, but this is not uh, the big five's premier year to, uh, to put it lightly. <laughs> That's generous of you. Yes. I think the way to think of it is these are the games where we are going to see the experimentation. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really excited for that. And I know everybody is because now we're going to really see what Longino can do. Now we're going to really see what Patterson can do. And then Joku is always the question mark, just if he's healthy enough, but if he is, then we're really going to see what he can do. And Jay Wright really doesn't have any excuses now because I said all of that about Purdue, but it still amounted to two losses. So mm-hmm. something does have to change. Yeah. And the change comes in these games against LaSalle, at Penn, against St. Joe's, even Syracuse. You start to rack up the competition and see how these young guys play. Don't thrust them into the fire early. Let them get their bearings mm-hmm. against the big five. And honestly... We know how how adamant Jay Wright about this. He takes the Big Five incredibly seriously. Very so in, seriously. So in his mind, this might be the same type of matchup. It's, not, it's obviously not exactly the same, but these are still high-powered, high-leverage, high-intensity situations, and he wants to see how his guys play. Yeah, Jay always really hammers home the importance of the Big Five and the history of it, so I would expect to see Villanova come out swinging and definitely wouldn't be looking for a letdown games type here, but uh, yeah. as you said, it, they should just be able to overmatch the next couple opponents in LaSalle, Penn, and St. Joe's. Yep, I feel the same way. I'm excited to see how those those Ken Palm's ratings, Ken Palm ratings shake out and how many turnovers they are going to force and how many threes they are going to hit. I think these are going to be some record-breaking games, honestly. And, and will that bench percentage go up? <laughs> yeah. My God, you would hope. Yeah, you would hope because they got to they gotta differentiate themselves from the Bonnies a little bit. A little not, bit. A, not a great company to be in in that I, category. I, the Bonnies are great, but everyone else uh, out, down there is not looking great. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. I'm not even going to ask what the other names are because I'm sure I wouldn't even know them. Oh, there were some inch. I was in a, a deep, dark part of Ken Palm <laughs> when I went through there. <laughs> Pat, you're the only person that would ever go down that Ken Palm hole. It, it, I, I have a problem, but you know, sometimes you got to admit it. Yeah. And also they, LaSalle just can't score. So they're going to, that doesn't help. They're going to have a problem against Villanova's defense that I do think is, is making small improvement as we talked about at the beginning. Definitely agreed there. Yeah. All right, let's go to my my now favorite segment, Whip Around the Big East. It has been a huge season for the Big East, and we were rewarded, Pat, when Mm. the AP poll dropped on Monday. Oh, yes, we were. So before we even get into any of that, uh, just I have to go to the tweet that the Big East sent out on Saturday night because it is one of my favorite things. I did. I I even tweeted about it, and we know I I don't tweet too much. But so the Big East uh, conference account did tweet out our our teams are 38 and four on the season. We own a pair of top 10 victories and a total of nine wins over power conference opponents. We have two teams playing for Feast Week titles on Sunday. We don't need to talk about how those games went. Um, Requiem, (laughs) what Requiem, a shot at the ESPN 34. For 30 requiem for the big east wow i love whoever tweeted that like just thank you from the big east because that was just incredible to read late on saturday night <laughs> yep four teams in the top 25 
as of mm-hmm. Monday. Four. So, that's the second most among all power conferences. Yep, that's exactly where I was going to go. So things are a little different from with that 38 and four record. Biggies did pick up a couple of losses, but still sitting there, as you said, four teams in the top 25. Only the SEC has more at six. As we said, more than the Big 12, Pac, uh, Big 10, Pac 12, ACC. This is. Um, Big East, man. You know, everyone downplayed them. We talked about that. I th- we thought some of the teams were really difficult to kind of pin mm-hmm. this year, but what a great start for the conference. Yeah, that's actually a great point to go off of, too, because we had that talk about Seton Hall. We had that talk about Providence, who I don't think has reached their ceiling or their potential yet. We had that talk about Xavier, Marquette, Creighton. All these teams have so many different nuances and wrinkles, and that's why teams are having such a hard time against them because mm-hmm. they don't know how to game plan. No. Uh, how good was Darcy, Dawson Garcia this weekend? Too? That was cool. To, that's a great point yeah. to go to UNC as well. He's playing really well there. Yeah. So uh, some highlights, we can just go through it. Xavier mm-hmm. beat 19 Ohio State. That was a huge game for Xavier. That was Thursday night. Friday, you got a Creighton win. Marquette beat West Virginia. The ra- the wins keep racking up. UConn has just been dominant so far, though they haven't had any big competition. Yeah, they've got Auburn this week, I believe. That will be a big one. Xavier won again. Marquette did fall to the Bonnies, which would have been a huge win. And then I saved the best for last, Pat. And yep. I know that you want to take this yourself. No, you reason, take it, please. The reason why the Big East has been so dominant is because Tony Stubblefield has a potential title contender in DePaul <laughs> with the Blue Demons at 4-0 and on this season. I, I hope you all listened to our Big East uh, preview uh, episode a, a couple weeks ago where we talked about the athletic poll having three players vote for DePaul to win the Big East. Clearly, they knew something that we didn't because DePaul is unstoppable yep. right now. Yep. Mic drop. That's it. That's the end of the episode. We love DePaul. Goodbye. Yeah, I exactly. You know, Villanova didn't beat Purdue. Just wait until they play undefeated DePaul <laughs> later this season because they just can't lose. Yeah, no, I'm so happy where the conference is. There have been some huge games. Seton Hall and Ohio State are in a really good one right now at half. We unfortunately won't be able to talk about the end of that one because we're recording Monday night. But Seton Hall's big, Marquette's big, Creighton's still finding itself, Providence is still finding itself, and then you've got, I think, the the top four has really solidified itself and. Nova, UConn, Xavier, St. John's. But St. John's is still looking for that big win. Almost got it against Indiana. Fight yeah. back, but just where it wasn't able to come through with it. Yep. No, you're right, but that'll do it for us unless there's anything else you want to talk about. No, I think that's I think that's it. It was a tough weekend, mm-hmm. but I, I implore people to take a deep breath, realize that it's just November. We've been very lucky to get the caliber of play that we've gotten that's so fair. far. And the other thing, the last thing I'll end with is Jay Wright knew this would not be easy. It is November and they've already played three top 25 teams. That just shows you how good he thinks his team could actually mm-hmm. be because no coach in his right mind does that just to see how the guys do. He thinks this is a national title contender yep. and they've shown it. They've shown it multiple times. Number three offense, according to Ken Palm in the country yeah. so far. And again, good. against three top 25 opponents as well. So this is a pretty good Nova team. There's plenty to debate, plenty to pick at and see, because we think there is such a high ceiling with this Villanova exactly. team, but it's also a damn good one. Yep. Well said. Love it. All right. So there are some awesome articles up on VU Hoops right now with recaps of Tennessee and Purdue. You may recognize the name of the author on the Tennessee one, so be sure to especially check that one out. Also be sure to follow the VU Hoops Instagram account, which has been putting out some really cool content as well. But okay, that'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented 
by VU Hoops. Be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating, and follow us on Twitter at S-O-N-N-Pod. We'll be back next Tuesday. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Enjoy the time off. Enjoy the time with family, friends, college hoops, and some football. Go Cats and Nova Nation. That's a wrap. <laughs>